Welcome in, my friends. I'm Josie, here to share another story of God's amazing goodness. After a few months off to enjoy summer, it's so good to be back with a fresh new episode. If you're new to us, we've got some fantastic stories of God's amazing goodness and the hope he brings to our lives, and I encourage you to go back and listen through them. Okay, today's episode has a really special purpose. We've got a new friend here at the chapel, and we want to get to know him better. Those of us in the Camino Chapel community have been on a huge faith journey together this past year as we have been searching for a new senior pastor. We're just about through that process as our elders have unanimously recommended the selection of Pastor Jeff Turner to be affirmed by our church members with a special vote, which is happening now through October 9th. If you haven't seen it yet, be sure to view this last Sunday's live stream service for October 2nd on our website. You can also view the Q&A time with Pastor Jeff that took place on the same day. I'm so glad you're with me today as we get to know Pastor Jeff and hear his life journey. All right, well, Jeff, I'm just thrilled to have you here sitting yeah. at the table with me with a Coke in your hand. Shh, don't, don't say that. My wife's going to be listening. Oh, it's, no. it's a It's an ice water the secret's out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, now, if, now, if it's a Dr. Pepper, we'd be in heaven. That's oh, that's, that's Texas tea right there. Ah, so you're giving away already where I you're know, from. That's so awesome. Hey, I, uh, I love a good story. And the purpose of our podcast here really is to give a platform for people to share the stories of what God has done in their lives. And uh, we've got just so many great ones that have been shared. And this one's exciting for me uh, because we're... This is our story here, merging with your story. And right. so we want to get to know you, the chapel family here, or even our podcast listeners that, that might not come to the chapel. We want to get to know you and your story because we know you've got a great one. So I want, let's just start at the beginning. Tell us who you are and, and start at the beginning. Tell us about your journey. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I really, I could talk for 14 hours or I could talk for 14 minutes. So if I really, my story starts in small West Texas town of Snyder, Texas. And, uh, me and my brother raised by a wonderful single mom, Lana Britton, who, uh, hopefully is going to be making it, making it up here as well. But we just were born and raised small West town, Texas. My mom was hard worker. She was single mama. So shout out to all you awesome single mamas who are busting and killing it for your family. I love people like you because you care for your family and you're working hard. That was my mom as well. And, um, grew up in West Texas there in Snyder. And so for, as a kid, we didn't know any better. We just had small community, loved people, and we bounced around going to church there uh, at First Baptist. Um, and so on times when my mom was working quite a bit, we weren't there. But, you know, as, as a little kid, I just had a lot of fascination with with. God and all of those things. Were you an only child? No, me and my brother. I have a brother and uh, his name is Michael and uh, God bless him. We love him. He passed away uh, last year. And that's another part of our story that I'd, I'd love to share. Um, so we, we love Michael and, but it was just two of us and with my mom. So it was all three of us, you know, small West Texas town. Mm -hmm. Was there, tell us a little bit about uh, the circumstances around that? Yeah. Uh, so my man, I, 
for when I was born, my dad was in prison. So uh, again, I don't know who all I'm hitting in this podcast. If you're listening and you're going, oh my gosh, that's my story as well. Like, come find me and let's get a cup of coffee mm. or Dr. Pepper. Apparently people found out I'm not a huge coffee drinker. I guess I got to get that fixed. We got to uh, get over that, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I wake up and, you know, I, I got the ice water in hand. But yeah, um, he was in prison and we have a, we have a family that has a past with uh, addiction issues. Mm. And one of the things that my, my dad now, whom we have an excellent relationship now, um, be, because awesome. of God, because of his grace. Um, and I can share that later, but yeah, when, when I was born, he was in prison because mm. of things that had happened with alcohol in mm. his past and my mom. And, um, so it wasn't until I think I was maybe two or three that he got out of prison and I didn't know this gentleman. So the gentleman that I did know was my grandfather, who I affectionately call Hi Daddy. That was my role model. And that was the, that was the man in my life because that's the only one I really knew. Uh, funny note, his name's Hi Daddy because he would come to Snyder on Fridays and have lunch with my mom. And so she would always say, Hi Daddy. And so it was a little kiddo. Oh, I thought his name was Hi Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> so when I saw Hi Daddy, I go, Hi Daddy. And my mom and him thought that was hilarious. And of course, you know, if you're a grandmother and you get a name from you, you know how you tease oh, yeah. that out and you do, oh, like, yeah. I am, I'm Pootsie or I'm Mimi. <laughs> like, you know, you, you got a name. So apparently, even on his headstone to this day, it says Rex Hi Daddy Hall. So I'm pretty oh, proud of that. Love yeah. that. Yeah. So, you know, being raised single mom, um, she, she struggled and, and, and fought hard and, and loved well and did what she could because of the circumstances. And, um, mm. so yeah, that was, that's part of our, that's part of our childhood is being that's raised. A big part. Yeah. It was a huge part of it. Now when Michael's born, he's in the picture a little bit more. Um, and then it was around the time that I would say from the age of three till about eight, he was in the picture. And then when I was five, we, ha uh, my brother came and, uh, so we're five years difference. And, uh, it was around when I was eight, it was about 93 that mom and dad got a divorce. And, um, so an another one of those things I may be hitting you in the, if you're listening and going, Oh, okay. Pastor comes from family that has had divorce in it. Yeah. I, I I'm with you. I understand what that's like and what that feels mm -hmm. like. And, and so, yeah, it was just rough and tumble learning how to do family. I, th I think I remember as an eight year old thinking, what does this mean? And, and well, dad's not going to be around. And then I thought, Oh, so now I can watch the Simpsons. Cause dad wouldn't let me watch the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. So now I can watch, you know, so I didn't understand what that meant that I mm -hmm. wasn't going to have dad in the house. Um, and it wasn't, it wouldn't be until I was 22 years old sitting around our kitchen bar realizing what it meant that I never had a relationship with what most people would call father, which then really impacted my view of father God, which I'm sure a ton of us could have a whole yeah. conference about how we deal with that issue. So I'm realizing that in my twenties, but um, yeah, that's, it was, it was tough, but God's grace was sufficient, even in a family that didn't know him. Now, if that makes sense, like God has common grace on people that don't know him in order to 
draw them to understand who he really is with his sufficient grace through his son, Jesus. So there's people listening probably right now. You're getting to know me. Maybe you have been getting to know Kameno and you've seen all these things happen and you wonder about God and the peace and it is God's goodness that he's drawing you, but that doesn't mean you have a relationship with him. It just means that God's been revealing himself so that you would go, oh, wow, he is good, good father. He is a wonderful father that loves me and has had his hand on me. Um, so that was us. Even through the mm-hmm. ins and outs and the tough and going home and not having electricity and us going to grandparents' yeah. house and figuring out what we're going to eat and all that, God was sufficient in his mm-hmm. grace towards us. And my mom, she worked so hard mm-hmm. on that. So at what point did it turn from... God was watching over you and clearly providing for you even before you had a relationship with him until you actually did have a relationship with him. When did that happen? So funny story. My mom picked up from a garage sale the Christmas story, the Disney Christmas story with like uh, Brutus or whatever his name is and Mickey Mouse and uh, oh, yeah. uh, is it Daffy? No, Daffy's Warner Brothers. Donald, whatever. All the all Donald the Disney, Duck, yeah. Yeah, Donald, yeah, Duck, yeah, yeah. All the Disney characters and it's and it's the and it's the Christmas story and all that. And I distinctly remember getting to the end where I think it's Brutus and he's wearing the devil outfit and he's got like the cigar in his mouth wow. and he's got the fire. Oh, yes. I remember that. And as a kid, I'm going, what is that? And I remember like this imagery around this thing I heard called hell. Okay. So put that in your toolbox just for a second. Then as an eight-year-old, my mom had to drop something off at the church and it was a Sunday night and they were having a service. And I didn't know that you had church on Sunday night. Some churches had church on Mm -hmm. Sunday night. So we walk in, we're just walking in the back of the church to slip in. My mom's getting something from someone. And they're like gleaming at the top of the stage. There's this little kid, imagine watching this dark room and this ominous light. And there's a guy in a white robe and he's dunking a person in the water, which the only time I dunked people was when I had bullies at the swimming pool. What in the world is going on at church <laughs> that there's the big dude shoving some kid underwater and oh the people word. are clapping. What is that about? Oh my word. So I'm, I'm interested and mortified. What is going on? And so I just start having these conversations with my mom about, okay, so we go to church. And, and so there's this thing in this book, and there's this thing like the, the guy in the Christmas story is talking about hell, but he's not talking about hell, but it's hell. And and there's goodness. And, okay, we church is about God, but I've also heard there's this guy named Jesus. And is he like... Like, how is he related to God? Is he like his brother or his son? Do they live together? How did this happen? Oh, then there's devil. How does that guy come to be heaven and hell? And so I'm asking my mom questions. Well, who goes to heaven? And so my mom doesn't know the gospel. So her answers are what most people I think would give today. Well, good people go to heaven. Well, who goes to hell? Well, bad people go to hell. And I I remember as an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old thinking through well, and I, I mean, I'm serious. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I remember having the conversations with myself. Well, how much good do I need to make sure I get done to make sure I get into heaven? Wow. I mean, as an eight and nine year old, wow. I'm, I'm having these mm-hmm. conversations with myself because I'm not satisfied with good people go to hell. So define good for me. 
And if you think I'm crazy, you're like, there's no way an eight-year-old is asking those questions. Ask my mom. She'll be here whenever. Mm-hmm. And I'm really having these questions. I'm wondering, what's the bad thing that I can... Okay, so yeah, I lie sometimes, and I stole a sucker from the Dollar General or whatever. Is that what gets me to hell? And it wasn't until... So I'm having all these conversations. And I remember as a, uh, a little kid, this is going to date me a little bit, but does anyone remember these things called pogs? the little slant Bo knows what I'm talking about. The thing with the slammer and it looked like, they look like oh, yeah, yeah. milk caps. I know those. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and there would be these ones with like crosses on them and like Jesus with the thorns around his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'd have cl- right alongside eight balls and yin yangs. It was the stupidest thing in the world. But I remember <laughs> looking at these things going, what is like, I, I, and so I got really fascinated with religion. I got really fascinated with God and Jesus and mm. the devil and heaven and hell and these things. And it wasn't until I was 12, 13 years old. I went to a revival at First Baptist Church, and it's just because my friends invited wow. me. They, and let me take a step back there. I, I am a huge proponent of personal outreach, personal evangelism. Mm. I I love evangelism. I'm not good at it, mm. and in fact, I'm terrible at it. Join the club. I'm really bad at it. But there has to be a heart to reach people. Mm-hmm. And I was in the fifth grade, and a van pulled up in our Yard. We lived out in the country, Cleachy Road, mesquite trees all around, dirt, dust, cows mooing, and it was all that going on. And they <laughs> we have a bit me. of that. Yeah, here yeah. On it's, it. it's probably yeah. prettier. Yeah. Ours are mean, and uh, <laughs> they pull up and they invite me to church. And my mom's like, "Get out of the house. Go get with them the van." I mean, I can't imagine doing that today. Sending mm. my, yeah, my fifth day. grader in a van. Different day. Different day. And we went. We went. We went to bowling. For youth, it was an outreach thing. And I was like, Mom, church is so much cooler now. We had pizza and we bowled. It was awesome. And then the next week, we had a Bible study. And I was like, oh, it stinks. My church is back <laughs> to being boring, reading a book. Well, God's <laughs> grace, I stuck around long enough. My mm. friends invited me, came to Revival, didn't know what it was. And I heard the clear gospel presentation mm-hmm. from a big old fat sweaty white guy preaching to me in First Baptist Church, Snyder, Texas. God uses anything and everything to get his message across. Yeah. And I believed. Mm-hmm. And I believed really primarily with my head at first. It made sense. Mm-hmm. It was very, very, I don't know. It just, everything was the check marks. It was like God created me. There is sin. Why is there sin? Because of the fall. How does and all and then Jesus comes? But he is the he's the Son of God. He has always been and and will always be, and he's never had a beginning. Yet he is the begotten Son of God. And so I'm I'm hearing all this stuff, and it's clicking, and I'm going, yes, that's how all this stuff fits together. So when he asks, who tonight would want to pray and receive Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? I'm just there's no religious background for me. So I'm going, yeah, I'm praying that. Mm. So we pray and I'm praying, God, please forgive me. I'm listening to him. Tell me how to pray, yeah, yeah. but I'm believing the words. I'm not just saying it. I'm not just saying some prayer thinking the prayer saves, yeah. which is a problem. A lot of us have, I'm praying because I'm believing what the pastor says about my broken relationship with the father mm. and how I can have a relationship. Yeah. So I'm saying all these things and I'm praying them. And he says, if you prayed that prayer, stand up, which we know in church world is awkward. <laughs> I don't know any awkward. I have no social yeah. qualms. I just stand up. 
and then quickly realize I'm the only kid in the whole place that stands up. So I'm about to sit down because I'm going, oh gosh, I just, and he (laughs) says, young man, you and so everyone starts clapping. So I'm going, okay, well, I did something right. Mm. And it began a journey for me of realizing I'd given my life to Jesus Mm -hmm. and I continue to give my life to Jesus. And I think one of the problems is in church world, in our personal lives, for a lot of us, giving our life to Christ, we would say was a one-time event. We would say, I did that. They would reference and say something that happened 32 years ago, eight years ago. Once and done. One and done. Once saved, always saved. Now, listen, I... I have, I, I don't have a whole lot of time to go. That's into a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> but we treat our relationship with the Lord as if it was just a one-time thing that happened. But for me, when I got married, I didn't just get married one time to my wife and then I never talked to her and I never love her. Mm-hmm. I don't take her on. No, no, no. Like I continue, I'm continue giving myself to my wife. I take her on dates. Uh, I give her flowers. I, I buy her her favorite snacks and, and her favorite drinks. And I, cause why? Because I'm building this relationship. Yeah. So for me, I continue to give my life to the Lord every single day because mm-hmm. I know how sinful and how awful I am. And I know my past. I know the addiction that can follow and all those things. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you're asking about my story about relation with Jesus. That's where it started at. And so it yeah. continues to grow. Oh, I love hearing that, 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 quest in our life, the journey with Jesus, getting away from the, I checked the box, I rose my hand or I said the prayer. It doesn't just stop there. Like no matter who we are or where we are in our journey, like our quest should be to be apprenticing after Jesus, to be trying to know him more, just like you equate that to your relationship with your wife, trying to know her, love her better, know her more deeper, like that. I mean, that's a biblical example that she sure. uses in the right. for us. So I love that. I love hearing that about you. So let's let's move forward a little bit. Absolutely. So we've got a little snapshot of your childhood, of your obvious um, youth being prepared by the Lord yeah. to be uh, radically transformed by him. Right. Yeah. So let's let's go a few years ahead of that then into um well, yeah, into your adult life. Yeah. Um, quickly, uh, my mom gets back into the dating world, meets a gentleman who I could not stand because he was not who I was. I was soft, sweet, sensitive kiddo, and he was rough and tumble, mm-hmm. big, bad dude. And um, and God even forged that later in college. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I'm realizing, okay, there's a guy that my mom loves. They get married. We move my junior year to Hobbs, New Mexico, um, which if you're wondering where the worst place is on the planet, if you want to know where the armpit of America is, it is in Hobbs, New Mexico. So if you've got out of Hobbs, New Mexico, God Uh, be the glory. I'm going to take that off the bucket list. No, no, no. No, hey, we, we, we had some great memories of Hobbs. We moved there. We moved to Odessa, Texas, between Midland and Odessa, Texas. If you don't know where that's at, if you've ever seen Friday Night Lights um, with Billy Bob Thornton and the mm-hmm. Permian football mm-hmm. team and all that stuff, yep. that's that whole area. Okay. So it's football, it's oil, it's cattle, it's cotton, mm-hmm. it's it's the whole nine yards. And and so we moved there. I started doing life there in my senior year there, and I'm looking for a church. And up until this point, really, my mom is the kind of person that says, I'll just go where you go, just find a place and I'll go. And had some people tell me about a church. 
called Stonegate Fellowship. That if someone out there is listening to this, man, I, I my Stonegate people from the past, love them. And that was a place that I began really formally growing in my relationship with the Lord and in my life. And so we moved to Midland, Odessa. I'm doing life. Um, and really my world is revolved around youth group and being a part of Stonegate. And um, so um, then at the same time, I need to, um, I'm realizing, okay, I need to get my roots plugged in. And uh, so I, I go to uh, junior college out in Midland. It's called Midland College. And then um, uh, and then I get, you know, I go to University of Texas there in Odessa. And, that, and so that's, that's really my world. I'm, 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 I'm living, breathing, consuming what it means to be a leader at Stonegate mm. and, and, and going to school and getting my education. In fact, I'm about to graduate college. They so graciously offered me to say, Hey, would you want to come be full-time staff? And we'll, we'll, we want to, we want to take care of seminary for you. So I stick around and that's, that's where I was at. And really those stages of adulthood mm -hmm. was staying in Midland, going to school at Southwestern Baptist in Fort Worth, Texas, and just consuming leadership, what it means mm -hmm. to lead people, what it means to be mm -hmm. a pastor and failing and falling forward and all those things. That, <laughs> That's how you know, we learn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, I heard that old quote. It's not, we don't fail. We just fall forward, you know, yeah, or whatever that is. Yeah. Like, it's like, whatever that means, I'm just trying to figure this out. Yep. So that was really Stonegate Fellowship. I was a student pastor for several, several years. And, um, at some point in that is when God graced me with this beautiful person called Crystal. And <laughs> that was that was a moment in my time and really in the middle of when I began my student ministry at Stonegate. So yeah, I lived in Midland, Texas. That's West Texas. Stonegate Fellowship, doing school, finishing up, starting seminary. And um, so that's that was the beginning really of my adulthood, I okay. guess you would say, there in Midland. So while you're in youth ministry... Is that when you and Crystal met? Oh, yeah. Yeah, So okay. 2008 rolls around. I graduate from UT, and um, I'm starting seminary spring of 09, uh, <laughs> January of 2009. Get that year under my belt. I'm traveling back and forth to Fort Worth every Monday. I'm doing Monday-only classes. There comes a period of time when I, uh, I start like I'm sure like everybody goes through at some point in time, a weight loss journey. And so I'm like, I need to kick my butt. I need to, I need to get something, you know, to get in shape and that sort of thing. And lo and behold, around March of 2010, I have this, uh, girl that we kind of know each other through, uh, mutual friends message me on Facebook which never happens. Listen, I've always been like the dorky, dumpy guy that like, <laughs> I just want a girlfriend. And I have this girl that like is messaging me like, hey, I've, I've been seeing you around lately. You're looking <laughs> great. I've seen you been posting pictures of losing weight, blah, blah, blah. Hope you're doing well. And I'm the oblivious guy that doesn't realize that there's a pretty girl talking to me. So I'm just like, well, thanks or whatever. And it wasn't until days <laughs> later that I realized you idiot. There's a pretty girl <laughs> messaging you. What? Like you better message her back. And so that, so yeah, we kind of, we actually met years prior at a Chinese food restaurant there in Midland. Me and her brother used to go do lunch when I was in high school. And, um, 
it's uh, so dodgy. I can't even believe that place stayed open as long as it did. <laughs> I, like if you ate there, you're immune to any disease known to man. And, uh, and he brought his sister one time and I thought, Oh my goodness, who? And so I got to meet her when I was in high school, but it wasn't until later in college. And she, I think, I think she was already graduated. I was already graduated, okay. but yeah, that's when I, I met her just over Facebook, her that's messaging awesome. me, reaching out. So that's yeah, awesome. it was and awesome. I think, I think you shared with me before you were married pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we so we're the crazy people that I asked her out on a traditional date. I don't know if anyone still does this or not, but I traditionally I asked her, would you like to go on a date with me? It, you know, and so we actually went somewhere. We ate food together mm-hmm. and had a Starbucks together, which I don't know. Starbucks, do people like Starbucks up here or is that like the shameful? <laughs> what's the temperature of like Starbucks in Washington? Oh, that's all another podcast. All another podcast. <laughs> so we had the Starbucks. That's all you have in Midland, Texas. And, um, and I'm a youth pastor. So I think, well, I'm just going to go show you my youth room. And after a few days, I asked to be my girlfriend. And then it was, I think, less. No, it was a little more than a month because we dated the end of March through the, the first part of May. I asked her to marry me. So we're talking a little less than six weeks, almost right at six weeks. I, I just, I just, I went to a jewelry store and spent all the money that I had. I was just this clueless 20 year old, like, here's all my money. Take it. I need to get a ring. And I remember for days just looking at this ring thinking mm. I'm ready to marry her. I'm ready to mm, marry her. That's so beautiful. yeah. So asked her to marry me. And then we got married in October of 2010. So it was, it was quick, but I think people thought we were crazy, but you know, for us, when you know, you know, and so yep. now we're celebrating this year here in a few, actually this Sunday will be 12 years for us, October 9th, um, not this Sunday, but in a, in a week from now. So October 9th is our wedding anniversary. Yes, yeah. That's wonderful. And okay. we're still newlyweds. So that's good for you. That's right. That's right. So, so we're going to fast forward just a little bit. Let's go. You've got a lot of kids. Yeah, we do. Tell us about your kids. Oh my goodness. Uh, so we get married and um we are talking about this five-year plan and we're gonna do this yeah part we, first. We, we've all had those right yeah and four months later you're like oh you're pregnant so first kiddo is Gwendolyn and she is our old soul she's 10 she'll be 11 in November delightful I met her yesterday delightful yes. she can hold her own her yeah. own conversations yeah. she loves to garden she loves sweet things all things sweet there's not a mean bone in her body um, so then um, you have my second guy and that's Nolan and he's eight and he'll be nine in a, a month and actually in a few days because his birthday is on the fourth. So, um, he's my rough and tumble. He's my full of energy. He's, he's gotta be doing something. All he the was time. very excited yesterday to see basketball hoops in our <laughs> sanctuary. He <laughs> was like, what right. do, yeah. do you have a basketball? You've got basketball <laughs> at church. Yeah. It was awesome. This is going to rock. And yeah. so, he is affectionately named after my hero, Nolan Ryan, which I give grace to my wife for letting me do that because I we went through all the names. That's a baseball player for those who aren't baseball. So, people. ladies and gentlemen, the greatest baseball player in the history of mankind <laughs> is not Babe Ruth, it's not Mickey Mantle, okay. it's not Joe DiMaggio, it is Nolan Ryan. I, Over five thousand strikeouts, right. seven no hitters. Come on. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's like, oh, he just got better with time, girl. I mean, oh, my baseball awesome. fan <laughs> listeners in our church family are yeah. really excited. Right if you're now. a Mariner right now, you're like, oh, this is scum of the earth. But if you're somehow love the Rangers, so I'm a, I'm a diehard Rangers fan. Well, you just you're on your way to Washington State Let's now, go. so there's gonna have to be a little shift. So here's my shift. All right, I've been a disappointed Cowboy fan for thirty something years. I'm all about, let's go Seahawks. Let's oh, go. Let's just do it. it. Go I, I have to have my Rangers. I have to have my Texas A&M Aggies. But listen, I'm giving the Cowboys, whatever. They've just, every year is, oh, this is the season. And I'm like, mm, it's not. It's not going to ever happen. So anyways, Nolan comes along. Um, he's our guy. He's going to be dying here soon. And then, really cool for us, um, back in uh, 2019, we uh, started praying again about what we felt like the Lord was moving in our hearts years ago about adoption. Uh, so quickly, we got into uh, fostering to adopt. We were with, a, with an agency, and uh, we thought, and there actually some circumstances we thought we were going to be adopting or, or fostering a couple of girls. It didn't work out. We're at like a Friday Night Lights tailgate taco thing. We get a phone call, and... Lo and behold, we've got two little kids that are in emergency care right now. They need a placement. And two years later, here we are in 2021 adopting. And we weren't, we weren't fostering anymore. We were now saying we want to adopt these precious kiddos. Mm-hmm. Crazy situation they were involved in. Mm-hmm. But we believe that God was using that time where we were at in Albany, Texas, as at least one piece along in our journey mm-hmm. to bring along two beautiful kiddos to be in our family. So uh, Gregory is now six, and Gregory is, I'm just going to call him the Renaissance man, and here's okay. why. Gregory loves all things physicality. He could run for he could literally just run a marathon and then probably go, I'm Tayo dad. Can I get a drink? And then just literally do something else. He, he's nice. so physical, <laughs> but then he loves to read, but then he loves art, but then he loves singing. Nice. And it's the craziest thing. He is all things, everything. And so Gregory is my little stud muffin, love him to death. He's six. And then our fourth kiddo, um, her name is Daliana and she is, she's going to be our deep thinker. She is quiet at times and you can just see the wheels are turning, but she's also got this ferocious spirit about her. Like if I can find something around here that looks like a spear, I'm going to make it look like a spear and defend my territory. Well, you're princess. Yeah. The whole honk tongo, whatever <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> um, but then she's also just our little sweetheart. So we got four kids, mm. Gwendolyn, Nolan, Gregory, Daliana. And so beautiful, beautiful kids. Beautiful. Love them to death. All right, well, I think we got a good snapshot of your childhood and your family, your beautiful family. I'm going to take a little segue here, and I want to, I think the two will mesh well, because we all know that the things that God allows to happen in our lives, he uses those, right? He doesn't waste anything. We all know that. And so I want to hear about your passions in ministry. What drives you? What things are important to you in ministry? Um... What things happened that fuel where your passions are? Can we go there for a little bit? Sure, absolutely. I'm passionate about the color of the carpets. Um, uh, (laughs) Passionate about things that don't matter. No, um, (laughs) we've talked about this a little bit 
our, our past does in a way define so many things of the future and, and our mission and those things, they don't have to define it, but they, they definitely shape, shape it. it. Yeah. And I would say, I'm going to probably talk about several things I'm passionate okay. about, um, which I know can be cliche, but really I do. I, I think all of us have several things that we really are passionate about. I would say one of the things that I am most passionate about really goes back to the fact that as a kid, I did not understand and know the God of the universe in a way that was being taught because uh, I wasn't in Sunday school. I wasn't in church. My mom wasn't a believer yet. She mm -hmm. be became a believer later. So as a child, I had no formation around what it meant to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the biggest things because of that past and because of so many things in a broken home and so many things because of a lack of the church, not, not the church was doing anything wrong. It was just, we weren't in it. Mm -hmm. My mom was working her tail off and, and God bless her for that. It became very apparent for me that as I was growing in the Lord, after I gave my life to Christ and I entered into student ministry as a seventh grader and, and, and I'm seeing these men that, uh, and women that were passionate about teaching students and kids the gospel. And that was the nineties. Uh, we were, I mean, there was, <laughs> there wasn't a better time. It seemed like with youth ministry in the nineties, cause was, you could do anything cause no one was doing anything. And now we have such great student ministries and I'm so excited to come alongside and work along guys like with, with Chimpo, which I found out that's his name. That's awesome. Yeah, by you, the way, I love that his name yeah, is Chimpo. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and so for, um, and oh my gosh, I forgot our middle school uh, director's name. Tristan. What's her name? Tristan. Tristan. Yeah. Oh, and what a sweetheart. Yeah. I loved her. She's amazing. And so anyways, and Joanna. And so, so when I'm entering into student ministry, I'm beginning to develop this passion for teaching students the Bible and who Jesus is and what it means to love the father and be filled with the spirit. Mm. And it's all just beginning to form. And I'm, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm getting true discipleship. I'm just picking up the pieces. I'm just, I'm so passionate about it. I, I'm just along the way going, okay, I want some of that. I want some of that. Mm -hmm. This is going to help mm -hmm. me grow. So I enter into student ministry, not with some kind of stepping stone to become a pastor. It wasn't that. It was just, I want to get my feet wet and I love students and I want to just get involved. Mm -hmm. So for me, what began to develop was a passion for what I would call the next generation. Um, in fact, at, at Stonegate, we years ago started what we called the next gen ministries because we, we saw this huge need to push into kids through, I mean, it was almost the birth through senior kind of thing. We've mm -hmm. got to systematically scope and sequence, push into disciple, reach, go after spiritual formation. That's absolutely right. From right, right from the roots, go after kids and students. Mm -hmm. So there is a, I would say if, if I were, if I were looking at my garage and I had the the tool shelf, so to speak, with all the holes in it. And I've got mm -hmm. the hammer and the wrench hanging up, all that stuff. I would say one thing that hangs up there is mm -hmm. always kid and student ministry. And I, I had an awesome opportunity to meet our kid and student ministry uh, directors yesterday. And I just mm -hmm. real briefly wanted to, them to know, I've got your back. We've mm -hmm. got to go after kids and students, which then as a, almost a byproduct, but along with it is going after their parents, going after young, yeah. young parents. Not to say I don't want to go after older parents. I want to as well, but 
if you're looking at the church right now and you're looking at the biggest area that we are missing uh, is is people really from that 40-year-old mm-hmm. till about 25-year-old range. Mm-hmm. And, and what's happening is, um, this is just my honest assessment, mm-hmm. and I would love to have conversations with people that are thinking through these things as mm-hmm. well. Um, we are being duped by the world and the things that it offers. And what happens is, it, it's not upfront like other sins and temptations are like, like for instance, like uh, there's a temptation to uh, just name the sin. That's just right mm-hmm. up front. Mm-hmm. The devil is getting really creative in his, uh, his approach to teaching and directing our generation that really, instead of God being at the center of our family, our kids are the center of our family. So we're becoming very kid centric. Mm-hmm. We're becoming very kid idolatrous. Yep. Our culture is. Yep. So, um, I'm looking for things that are going to prop my child up for the greatest success for their life at the expense of being gone on weekends for travel ball, for being gone for this contest, this competition, etc. And so what happens is we will give to that which we believe gives us the greatest joy in our world. We will sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So what better than our children being the greatest thing to give our joy towards. Yeah. So I believe one of the things that we're missing is reaching that generation, the 22, 23 year old to about the yep. 40 year old, because number one, I think they've gotten a lot of disenfranchised with the church. It doesn't seem very relevant. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I go and I bring my kids and I listen to a guy talk for an hour and what more to life is this? It just seems mm-hmm. I'm listening to this guy tell me, don't have sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Okay, so that's fine. So then I go home, and I'm not doing those things, but I sure do like a little Metallica. Does that make me a sinful person, or I'm listening? What I think it's just not become a important piece to a lot of people in that age group. Yeah. So I am, I would say, and I want to keep saying that word. I hope you don't think it's cliche. I am passionate about reaching kids and reaching students, and with that, reaching their parents. And, and also, kids, here's why. Let's say we reach all the kids in the world. And they're here on our campus at max two hours a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, if you think about if yeah. they come to some kind of programming mm-hmm. and then Sunday school or Sunday church, I mean, we're talking two hours. Yeah. That is nothing compared to the time they're at home, the time they're at school, yeah. the time they're in, ath- in athletics or band yep. or choir. And so uh, I'm just thinking, how do we help? push into their parents to help equip them to walk alongside because they're getting the thrust of it. I, I, That's right. Discipleship starts at the home. It doesn't That's start right. at church. So yeah. I have a big heart for that because yeah. no one was coming alongside my mom because my mom didn't know any better. Yeah. And so that's one, one passion of mine. Well, in a culture void of absolute truth. Right. But, but we have absolute truth and we have the source of it in God's word. So teaching our children that truth can be found and where to find it. If you do that at an early age, then those other things and other influences come at them with a different perspective. So this kind of goes back. I mean, I don't have time to talk about this, but this really goes back to pre-modernity, the pre-modern era, which just believed truth is truth. Then there was a modern era, 1600s, 1700s forward. That was question truth. Now we're living in postmodern truth Mm -hmm. that no one has the actual truth. Mm -hmm. So that's happening in the fifties. And so the, again, kind of getting into goofy stuff, 
the generation that's learning from the postmodern group yeah. is millennial generation. That is the 25 to 40 year olds. Yep. I am in that. I, and I'm not bashing my mom. I'm not bashing anyone. I'm bashing a concept that was happening in the 50s that was truth is not truth. We question everything. Mm -hmm. So my generation is listening to the people right. that were being raised in the postmodern era as they didn't even realize it that I'm to question everything and I'm to try everything and I'm to get my, and, but the funny thing is there's nothing new under the sun. That's right. This was Solomon. Yep. He's literally writing. Yep. He's like, I have mass parties. I drink a lot. I have more women. You know what to do with. I've got gardens you've never seen. Yeah. And it's all vain. It's yep. all meaningless. Yep. It's all useless. Yep. So I think our generation is probably the generation that's now trying everything because they don't know what truth is actually truth. Yeah, yeah. And so that's hard because you want to come alongside of them and say, but here is the truth. Yeah. But they, they go, well, but there's a lot of truths out but, there. But there's where our work is. That's the, right. And the opportunity. That's like, right. And especially, like you said, at the early, early formative years, if we can get them grounded on the truth then, then That's when right. they're met with that, they will have a source of truth to draw from. I just want to throw this in here. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you go way, way back in the history of Camino Chapel, the, the founding folks here at the Camino Chapel, the number one priority was we got to reach out to the children. Oh, it has been a go. driving force in the yes. history of Camino Chapel. It has always been. That's never stopped. And we, we as a church family here keep that at the forefront that is that let's go yeah the kids right. translate to the parents translate to the community right we're all over that that's good so i, I think right that. on and um we also i just wanted to touch back on something you said you're talking about the church at large that struggling that age group like 20 to 40 something right um because that that is Across the board. Exactly. Church at large, kind of the... the I've never been at a place that this was not one of the key issues right. that church was struggling with. Yes. And I think some folks go, oh, our church is... And I want to say, no, 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 you're... It's, I don't want to say it's okay. I just want to say you're amongst other people struggling yes, with it. Exactly. You're not unique exactly. and, you're not, and you're not doing something that like, golly, apparently our church is just so terrible. No, no, no. It's just reality yeah. across the board. So here's, what's really cool in, in this conversation, Jeff, is that you haven't, you, unless your ears were burning and we didn't even know about you in the last year or two that we've really had heightened conversations at a staff level mm. about this very thing about yeah. how, what are we doing for mm. that age group? How and what, what do we need to change? How do we need to pivot here on so that we can make sure that we are investing in that people group. And there's not a match. Here's another thing that uh, can be uh, a misnomer about, my position. I think some people think that what I'm going to do is bring the magic formula, right. like, like, like I'm Nick Saban right. no. and I have my career at Alabama and now I'm bringing in, I've got the key to winning football games. I think the concept is we we've hired the right guy and he's got the right tool bag. And what I want to say is first and foremost, that never works. There's never right. this idea that he, what it is, is a leader comes in and says, we got to have conversations. I don't have the magic formula. I don't have the magic key because what worked in Texas may not work in Florida mm -hmm. or South Carolina or Washington. That's right. And even if something worked here, it may not work there. And if something doesn't work there, it doesn't mean it, it can't not work in Washington. So my goal is to come alongside of these awesome 
already established student and kid leaders and their volunteers Mm -hmm. and just continue to have conversations and pump up and help them do better what they're already doing. Um, Because I don't want to come and go. So I have a passion behind kids and students and and reaching their parents. That's, that's a big one that kind of hangs up. Okay. Um, so if we're using my past, um, to drive, I have two more. Okay, good. One is looking back that somebody was willing in all awkwardness to invite a goofy sixth grade kiddo to a youth event that the um, I, I remember the kids' names. They were kids that I graduated with. Mm-hmm. Getting out of the van, Josh Knox, Kelby Drum, and just name these people. They were in my living room inviting me to an event that would have been awkward to show up at someone's house and invite them, and then for there to be evangelistic events, and there was personal evangelism that we were being taught, that I didn't even realize it, mm-hmm. at an early age, I have a drive and a passion for evangelism and outreach and missions. Like I said earlier, I'm, you will hear me first and foremost. I am not good at it. I stink at it. Why? Because it's awkward. It is awkward to just have a conversation to lead them to Christ yeah. because you feel like a car salesman. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just, let's just call it is what it is. So one of the things I want to for, but, but the thing is, we have to do it. That's it's right. just, it's, it's yep. just, it's like exercise or being physical about doing something like, yeah, I don't know that anyone just wants to go <laughs> run a marathon. Well, maybe there, there are, are and you're some. crazy and I don't, I'm not I'd not. like to know who you are. Cause <laughs> I don't, ah. but I think most general people go, you know what? I need to do it. Cause it's, it's healthy to me. And I think on the same thing, Christ called, this is what I love about his call to the disciples. When he, when he says, Peter, throw your nets out. And he said, we've been working all night, but okay, I'll do it. And he pulls in all the fish. And, and this is, what is, what does Jesus say? Follow me. I will make you worshipers. Did he say that? No. Follow me. I will make you incredible church planters. No. And I could keep using, <laughs> he says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Mm-hmm. And has always stuck out to me that the first thing that God calls us to as new believers is to be fishers of men. So for me, I, I realized as an early age, I've got to tell people the message of Jesus. Is every conversation lead to the Shekinah glory where the person <laughs> falls down on their knees and goes, Oh, how sinful man I am. And I lay my hand on them and we, and no, no a lot ever, of times hardly. it goes, well, uh, I don't really want to talk about this. I need a, a plane to catch. Or it's, uh, so what, what we're doing is we're casting seats. We're casting mm-hmm. seats. And it's awkward and it's weird. But can I tell you something? God uses just the mundane sometimes mm-hmm. of talking about your story. God uses the massive evangelistic events, which God has used in spectacular ways. I was talking to Mike Brazil and his history mm-hmm. of what he was able to do in his past career in ministry. God uses those. He uses the grocery store conversation about yeah. Jesus. That's a little seed. That's, it's casting the net. It's casting the seed. And we have to do that because that's how I came to the Lord. Someone was willing mm. to yeah. share the gospel with me and it would have felt awkward, which then goes back to kids ministry and student <laughs> yeah. ministry, right? Yep. That's the most formative time mm-hmm. that they can give their lives to Christ. Why not start there? But God also calls us to engage adults, and even those that we think are Christ followers, which is why we should be having gospel conversations with people, because then someone has an opportunity to go, 
I want to ask a question. Yeah. What, what do you, okay. You keep talking about this. What do you mean by that? Yeah. And so it happens yeah. and it's awkward and it feels weird sometimes. And God knows. Yeah, he does. But it's called being faithful even when we don't know what's going to happen with the result of yeah. that. So that's a big kind of second. That's great. And I just, I'm honest about it. I'm terrible at it. And <laughs> I don't, you know, it, but I still go, Lord, help me. Yeah. Go before me. Holy Spirit, go before me. And that's a wonderful prayer you can pray. Right. And yep. it doesn't guarantee anything no. in the sense of that person's going to get saved and now he's going to become a board member and now he's going to give $20,000. <laughs> no, it just, it means you shared something. Yeah. Ten years from now, they may remember mm-hmm. and go, God, I can't, I, I can't believe that that happened. That that mm-hmm. helped shape that aspect of life. Because even though I gave my life to the Lord in 1997, that doesn't mean that, um, oh my goodness, I forgot his name. Uh, Ian Hobbs was sharing the gospel with me in vacation Bible school on the steps of First right. Baptist as a third grader. Right. That's a seed. part of the seed. Absolutely. Before that, I mean, just yep. name the little things. You never know what you're part of. Right. Yep. Yep. But it was seven. So that's my second thing to throw up there. That's awesome. That's, um, and then you and I have been using this word in our correspondence. And I would say this, my third passion is what I would call spiritual formation. Yes. Yeah. And here's my favorite topic. And here's, and here's why for me, this is a big deal. Um, so I am in junior high and I'm in high school and I'm just eating up anything I can get my hands on about Jesus. I'm in youth group. I'm going to all the evangelistic conferences. I'm going to all the worship conferences. I'm, I'm just, anything I can get my hands on, I'm just, it's like filling up the tank. Yeah, yeah. I'm filling it up, filling up, filling up. With the, okay, so that's great, except when the one out of 20 books that comes across your table is heretical. Mm-hmm. So I'm in college, and I'm reading a book, and I'll, I'll leave all this out because I don't whatever, but this, it was a, it was a very heretical book that was actually very popular that people were going, Oh my goodness, this book is amazing. Oh my goodness. It helped change my <laughs> life. And so I, uh, I sounded like a smoker from Jersey. Wow, I don't know how was, that came that out. Yeah. Yeah. So I start reading it. And, oh my goodness. It's just changing my life. And, um, <laughs> I have a mentor of mine that says, you need to stay away from that. Mm. And I said, why this? I mean, the, the, all the things that they're saying. And he said, because that's not the truth. Mm. And lo and behold, four years later, this author starts writing things that are going, Oh, um, Whoa, what is, what's, uh, and then, and so now 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, this guy is off the deep end, but he is still popular in media. He still meets with people like Oprah. Mm. He's on these and the guy is heretical. Mm. So I kind of had this moment for myself in college when it really for me was the um, exegetical crisis, like the cognitive thing that messes up in your brain that goes, I got to know what I believe. So I just start, I become what I would call a theological mutt. I just get my hands on everything truth and I just start dicing up theology, what the Bible says. Because I've for so long realized, okay, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. There would be no denial of that. Yeah. yeah, I struggle with sin like everyone struggles with sin. But I was in an all out for Jesus. But I didn't know what I believed. And I didn't know how it formed my life. Mm-hmm. And over those years of college, um, I, I am eating up stuff to go. I don't just read this to just believe it 
in just some random part of my life, but how does this affect everything? So I start thinking through, um, what does it mean to worship God? What does it mean to repent of sin? What does it mean to love him with all my heart? We read that in Deuteronomy chapter six. There's a thing called the Shema. It says, yeah. listen, O Israel, hear, O Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord of God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Teach these diligently to your children. And so I'm asking the questions for myself as a Christ follower. Okay. I can just have that plastered on a little plaque in my house, but what does that mean to love the Lord? <laughs> so I start saying to myself, I've got to know what the Bible says. And I have to let it trickle into every area of my life. Yes. I'm getting into revelation and not realizing that it's just some random story with locusts and horses. It mm. actually is something that's going to happen, stuff that has happened and is going to happen. I'm going into the book of John and reading about the logos, the word mm. of God. What is that? Is that just some theological concept that's for seminary level students? Or is that for what we call the plowboy, mm. the guy that's out in the field? What does it mean that Jesus is the word of God? God. That reading, the reading the word, not just for information, right. but for formation Absolutely. to be formed by the word. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, knowing what the Bible said, knowing that what the Bible says leads to a knowledge of God that leads to a love of God that leads to me knowing more about him. Yes. Why? Because he has given me the Holy Spirit to lead me to sin, righteousness, and judgment and, and conviction. And so he's my comforter and he's my teacher. And, and so I'm realizing that I can actually know the Lord. I can actually know him. And so I'm kind of giving this away a little bit. Where I'm going to go on Sunday is talking about experiencing the Lord, maybe in a way that maybe no one's thought about this because John uses this word to know him in 1 John chapter 2, and he says, those who say they know him come to know him by obeying his commandments. So what we do is we take that and we think, well, in order for God to love me, what I have to do is do a bunch of stuff. And that's not what it's saying. To know him means to know him by experience. So a lot of times we say that we know things by fact, like right now it's cloudy outside. The trees are green. This table is black. I know that not because I'm experiencing it, but just a fact. This table is mm -hmm. black. Two plus two is four. And that's not what it's saying here in this verse. Mm -hmm. It's not saying I come to know him by fact. That's the word oida in Greek. And that's not the word that's used here in first John chapter two. What? The mm -hmm. word used here is the word gnosko, mm -hmm. which means to know by experience. Yes. So here's an example. Who is someone that I know by experience? My wife, Crystal. Mm -hmm. I know what makes her mad. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know what makes her happy. And I know what food I can put in her mouth that goes, woohoo, I'm having a great date night. And I, okay, so you know, mm -hmm. I'm experiencing her. Mm -hmm. And yet so many of us know Jesus by fact. Yeah. And what he's calling us to is experience him, yes. to know him by experience. So all this is spiritual formation, yes. to love and know God, to be fully satisfied in him. And, and what happens is when I obey his commandments, what I'm doing is I am taking a careful look through his word to know what things he loves, know what things he hates, to walk with him, to love him, mm -hmm. to walk in the journey. So 
I'm passionate about spiritual formation. I'm I'm passionate about people knowing the Bible, not for Bible, yes. not not just for, not just for uh, Bible drill. I, I want people to know what God says that it would infuse everything because it does infuse everything. It infuses how I go to work, and it, 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 it infuses how I lead my children. I can't live in these separate compartments and just right. have over here the church, Jeff where I'm nice and wear a suit and I go to church and, you know, and to do all the things. And then I come home and I'm a jerk to my kids. No, how does Jesus infuse how I raise my children? How does he infuse how I do my taxes? How does he infuse how I'm intimate with my wife? How is he infusing how I lead a Bible? And it infuses everything. So I'm very passionate about people knowing the word and how it forms their life. Those are my three. Those are the things I would hang my hat if, on. If you see me right now, I'm like <laughs> exceedingly excited because this yeah. I've been on um, a, a spiritual journey of formation myself. And you, you're right. You and I have been kind of talking back and forth about service stuff for this for this weekend and, and meeting each yeah. other. We've never we met yesterday, yeah. and I. Oh man, I'm just with you on that topic. There's just so much to dig down on that. I know. Yeah. Well. Oh man, Jeff. I, I've known you one day, less than <laughs> yeah. 24 hours. It's been fun though, and one day. I, uh, I'm just super excited that God has made our paths cross. And I really, I just can't even tell you how excited I am to see what God's going to do in your journey, in our journey, and all that comes next. But we know that if, if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, centered yeah, down right. on his word and trusting him with what comes next in our lives, uh, I mean what the best is yet to come. That's right. right. I keep hearing that phrase and there is something so true about that. And there's something very honest about it because if, if we will be a people and that this is James chapter four, that God elevates the lowly, the oppressed, he, and, and then he humbles the prideful, right? If we come to the table of Camano chapel, including me with a prideful attitude of, I have it figured out. We will never have it figured out. We will hurt each other. We'll crush each other. And I will not lead well because I will always act like I have it together. But if we will collectively as the body say, okay, we've got to do whatever it takes to know the Lord, to reach people, you know, those sort of things, then we do this with his, with his spirit knowing the truth. Mm. And we go, let's humbly do this. And hey, this thing worked 12 years ago but maybe it'll work today. Okay, great. Hey, this, this didn't work four mm -hmm. years ago. Let's scrap it. Okay. That's great. If we love each other and there's all these things compacted in it, yeah. man, we will be a faithful church. And that's what I love about Matthew 25. Mm -hmm. Jesus gives a story and he says, I'm going away. I'm going to give you five talents. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you one. And the guy with the five says, Hey, you came back and I multiplied. Now there's, there's 10. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And it says, let's celebrate. That's what I love that the New Living Translation says. It says, let's celebrate. And so you would think, well, the top dog is the five-talent guy. And the next guy is, oh, he's just, he's just a two-talent guy, and he multiplied. And you guess what? The Lord sees the two-talent guy the same as he sees the five-talent guy. God in his sovereignty just knows how much to give you. You might be a five-talent guy. You might be a two-talent person. It's not how much he gave us. It's what we did with it. Right. And if I'm not doing anything with what God's given me, then I'm going to be the one talent guy that's fearful of God that goes and hides it and is like, oh, I'm just terrified when you come back. Or I go, you know what? 
God in his sovereignty loves me so much that he gave me what he knows I need to stretch me. And I'm not, I'm not even saying the whole, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. That's baloney. That's not in the Bible. But God knows exactly what to give us to challenge us, to push us, and to multiply it. And then he calls us faithful. So my prayer for us at Camano Chapel is that at the end of the day, God would look at our church and say, you're a faithful, mm. good and faithful servant. Mm. Enter into your rest and let's celebrate because but but right I don't on. want I don't want us to be a one talent church no. that just hit it and scared and yeah you know that's Mm-mm. that's not that's, us that's not us yeah well Jeff welcome ah, welcome to the family that. and yeah. I I'm just thrilled I we don't always do this at the end of our podcasts but I just think it would be really cool if you close us out in prayer uh, yeah, I would love it absolutely awesome Lord God I, I want to pray right now first thanking you for what you have already been doing at this church before me and my family ever even got here. Uh, You were faithful and you have always been faithful to your people. I am not coming to a broken church that needs fixing. I'm just, it's almost like I'm, I've been running and there's been this other group of people running and now we're running together. And um, so I'm thankful that you've been faithful to this body of believers here at Commando Chapel. Number two, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that in your divine sovereignty, you moved in our hearts and our souls to this place to come alongside of great people. So I thank you for Camino Chapel. I thank you for what you're doing in my life. But Lord God, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would do the work of the evangelist that you say in your word, that for all of us, that we would love you and and, and choose community and to go after people and, and to love one another and to grow and know you, Lord God. I mean, I, that, that's, that's my prayer. That's my hope. I pray for the person that's listening to this that um, has caught one thing and, and maybe is able to associate with me in this church. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone that came from a single home, single mom, single dad, uh, someone that uh, has walked through the terrible devastating effects of divorce that is going, I feel broken Mm -hmm. that maybe they would hear the grace of God that he still loves you and has never stopped loving you. Uh, I pray for the parents that um, they've got kids running around like crazy, that they would maybe hear the message of the gospel and stop for a moment and say, Hey, maybe there's something else that matters more than the stuff that I'm involved in. I just pray for people listening to this, not just to get to know me and our family, but to get to know the God of the universe that created them on purpose, that loves them through his son, Jesus, as a demonstration on the cross that was, re- that was resurrected, that we can have life in him. So I pray for this beautiful body. I pray for you if you're listening to this and ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We're so excited that God has brought Pastor Jeff and his family to our church. And I hope you'll join us in praying for God's continued provisions and blessings over this transitional time for both Jeff and his family and for our church. Until next time, keep shining your light and sharing your hope.